So we looked at some part of Psalm 6 last week. And it is considered by some Bible scholars as the first of what is known as penitential psalms. I, I don't... I'm okay if that's what they want to believe. Um, and there, there does indicate that there's, there's, uh, there's some... Not only is David, this is the Psalm of David, not only is he suffering, but he's being chased in, in God's hot displeasure, right? Um, but, and we talked about this last week because I don't, we went and we looked at in Second Samuel where uh, David confessing his sin um, of murder and adultery and I, I, again, I, I don't think that God was just lurking around the corner at different times waiting to just zing David one more time. That's, that's just my opinion. Some people believe that that's exactly what was going on. Is he reaping what he sowed? I think he is. Um, but I also think there are times that we're going to reap what we sow because that which we sow in our life, that which we give ourselves over to, in other words, the consequences of our own sin, um, those things have a way of playing themselves out in our life. Um, and if not for the grace of God, they would probably be much more severe than they are. Um, because did God forgive David? Yes. He essentially repented. God forgave him. Um, he got real hot. You remember the story, the story of the lamb, where they stole the lamb. Uh, they, the neighbor stole the land of the poor man and used that land that was a pet to feed his guest. And David was incredibly angry. And... Um, so this psalm is, is interesting because, and boy, I, I just, this is one of those I wish I had more insight on. And this is one of those a lot of commentators leave, kind of leave alone a little bit. Because it, it, it brings to me as many questions, if not more questions, than, than I feel like I have good answers for. And I know that, again, the scripture tells us that God forgave David, right? That's real clear. God forgave David. But was he, aside from reaping was he, what he was sowing, was he also living with the guilt of his sin? And maybe heaping more condemnation upon himself possibly even attributing some of that condemnation that he's experiencing because this could have been written, we don't know, this could have been written when um, Absalom tried to take over the kingdom. Could have been. This is warm. Here. You're making me cold. So you want to put that around you, you, you feel free, Okay. I'm trying to please. 
Okay. Anyway, it's there for if you want it. How's that? Um, and, and so it does beg the question is where are these fine lines in our life Because the chastening of God is done for what? What's, why, why does God chasten? Why does God chasten us? Because he loves us. Because he is calling us to what? I believe God chastens us. That was an R. Anyway, I believe God calls us to re- chastens us to call us to repentance. When we have repented, does God need to chasten us now? So there are all kinds of possibilities. You're right. Um, we need to heed the call of the Holy Spirit to call us to repentance. And David is so paradoxical because he's a great sinner, but he's a great repenter, but he's also a man after God's own heart. Which almost begs the question, then why was he so sinful? But he is also the standard by which the line of the king, the kings of Judah are compared to. And he set, if you will, the bar very high. He set the gold standard, if you will. Um, also known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. So he had a very tender heart before the Lord. So he's kind of hard to put your categories around, isn't he? The sweet psalmist of Israel. Um, th- this is in, much of what he wrote in the Psalms, to me anyway, is incredible poetry. Now it's not rhyme and rhythm like English poetry. But it is, it's more of the, 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 the uh, parallelisms of different concepts or the same concept said in a different way. So, he calls out to God, do not be angry. Have mercy on me. Uh, heal me for my bones are troubled. So, yeah, yes, this, this could have been during the time of Absalom taking the kingdom. This could have been another time. We, we don't know. It does not say. Um, he goes on to say that his soul is greatly troubled. And as I mentioned last week, this psalm gets even worse as we step into it. It gets even worse. Con- his condition gets worse. Um, and, and then... Asking the Lord, how long? How long for what? How long before deliverance, I think, is what he's saying. How long before you will come and rectify the situation? Whatever it is. Um, and eight, seven, six, seven, and 8 kind of speak into this a little bit more for us. Um, so the call for the Lord to return. I didn't, I didn't catch that last week, but this idea of return, return where? 
Scriptures tell us to draw near to God, and we will draw, he will do what? He will draw near to us, right? Is it the idea of returning him back to his throne? Maybe. Again, doesn't say we can't get too um, dogmatic about this. But have you ever gone through a period of time where you feel like, to the best of your knowledge, to the best of your knowledge, um, you're doing what it is that you need to do before the Lord and things don't seem to quite mesh. Hey, okay, good. I'm glad you're back, Larry, because we don't remember where we left off. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're doing a quick rehash. We're in Psalm 6. Good to see you. So, but have you ever been in, in a place in your life where you feel like you're doing everything you were supposed to do and yet it just doesn't seem like everything is coming together as you would expect it to come together? A few of you. I was, I was going to say, I guess just me, but a few of you start nodding your heads. Which is, uh, uh, is those are times where Nothing really makes sense, in my opinion. And so you have, to, you have to depend upon what God has proclaimed in his word. You have to trust that what God has proclaimed. You even do, at least for me, you do the shotgun, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my ways, Psalm 139, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So, For lack of a better way to say it, you kind of, you kind of, you stay up on the forefront of your repentance, if that makes sense. And not that we repent be, to be saved, we repented once to be saved, but we repent to stay in relationship with God. To be in a good relationship with him. We're, we're, if, I believe once we're saved, we're his children. We're in a relationship with him. We may not be his good children, we may be his wayward children. But... We're his children. Um, but it, the thing is, is when you go through these times when you pray and you get nothing, you ask God for something that you desperately feel like you need to receive, and he does not answer. Of course, that's never happened to any of us, has it? Right? And you just don't, and then it prolongs, right? It prolongs. And you just, I think those are the times that our faith is really built. Not so much in the victories, but in the darkness. At least that's my, my take on this. And so it's a call it's a recall of God's returning that sense, I think, of that um, this doesn't describe it well, but it's the only thing that comes to my mind. It's almost like that first love relationship. But it's like perhaps I think David has done what he has needed to do to restore that as far as his repentance, and he's waiting 
He's waiting to sense God's response. God's approval. Uh, getting back to that time of sweet communion with the Lord. Because verses 1 through 3 doesn't sound very, doesn't sound very fun. And he would like to get all of that behind him. And re- return, O Lord, and deliver me. Show up. Do something about this. And save me for your mercy's sake. Mercies, the, I talked about that last week. The, the hased, Hebrew word, that, that, that love of God that you cannot turn away from. That love of God that you cannot outrun. That love of God that you can't even really deny. That pursuing, persistent love of God. That when you're in the midst of verse 1 and verse 2, it's hard to sense that, isn't it? At least I think it is. And so, return, deliver me. Um, And then he says, this is where we're going to have some fun. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Now, to me, this opens up all kinds of questions. Um, and I'm actually glad that I, was, I had more time to look at this particular verse and to, to pull up a lot of other verses um, to address this. Is, is David deficient in his theology about God and about life after death? If you were just to read this and this alone, you might consider that possibility, right? But um, I think what he's doing is he's speaking, he spoke, he's speaking very poetically. He's speaking in a way where he's trying to evoke the move of God upon his life. Uh, and, and in a sense, he's pulling out all the stops. Remember, he's pulling this, he's speaking from, the, from his heart. He's speaking from his emotion. He's, he's, this isn't a theological treatise here. This is uh, the king of Israel who knows that he's called to be the king of Israel, and yet he's in some form of severe distress, of which we don't know. But is his theology incomplete? Is everybody's theology incomplete to some degree? I think so. But is this also inspired scripture? According to what Paul said, yes, I think it's inspired scripture. Is God giving him incredible latitude to express his heart? There's a finality to it, isn't there? Yes. So, hang on a second, Elder Bill. Um, Harvey, 
verse 5 you read, I think you said for in hell. What uh, translation are you using? Okay. Um, I have the New King James and it says for in death. And the word sheol in the Hebrew can be translated death, hell, grave. Uh, even an open, it's used in Ezekiel, described like this open pit that's like a sepulcher. Um, even beast in, in the scripture, or the, the word sheol in a couple of Old Testament passages, describe uh, the beast. Uh, Master Chief, I don't want to get too far away from you. He could be, in some regards, playing let's make a deal with God. Right? Have any, I'm sure all of us at one time or another has played let's make a deal with God. Right? And it wasn't really something that was led, contrived, orchestrated by the Spirit of God. But, you wanted God to move on your behalf, right? And it was like, for example, I think it was Chuck Smith. He was asking God to give him a car when he was a teenager. And he was telling God how he would pick up everybody in the neighborhood and take them to church. Um, so I, I, I never heard the end of that story. But anyway, I don't know if there was an end to it. I don't think God gave him a car. But... We have at times played let's make a deal with God. I think. I think everybody has. Maybe even ask for the right things for the wrong reason. So that we, we ask amiss, as James says. Consuming it on our own desire. Um, and part of in reading this with your comment, Master Chief, is that um, it tells me that God is well aware of our modes of operation. He knows, he, he understands when we're trying to pull his leg, so to speak. You know, and of course, the immutability, that is the unchangeableness of God, um, I don't think we can really, and, and prayer is a fascinating thing to me, and it's mystical because it's like, why pray? Well, it's well, a lot of reasons why. Uh, among being we are commanded, but it calls us to stay within communion with God. And if he didn't have a need, at least in this particular psalm, if he didn't have a need, he might not, probably wouldn't have written the psalm, right? He probably didn't wake up on a nice sunny day, sat under a tree and wrote this. This was from real life guttural type of experience. Um, so he's putting it out there. Um, so or is he possibly saying in death that he does not really understand how to express his awareness and worship of God. 
which is possible. Now, if the waters weren't already muddy, since we're in Psalms, Psalm 30. Verse 9, if you're there, if you want to read it, go for it. 30, verse 9. 30, verse 9. If you're there, just go ahead and read it. And then we'll go to Psalm 88 after that. So we ask this question again, and it's another psalm of David. If you look at the very top of this from Psalm 30, he's asking the same question again. So he's kind of wrestling it. He's wrestling with it. Um, and then in Psalm 88, which is probably worth a read later uh, while you have more time to look at it, Psalm 88, verse 10, although there's a couple verses before that. Um, yeah, um, verse 10. Psalm 88, verse 10, which is also a psalm of David. I'm, uh, no, it's the psalm of the sons of Korah, excuse me. So they're thinking the same thing. Mary, do you want to read it? Are you there? And then 11. So some interesting questions that are being asked here. Um, Psalm 115. It's not attributed to anyone in particular. I'll just read it to you. Psalm 115, verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But notice what Psalm 115 says, verse 18. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. See, he's made a huge distinction. The author of that particular psalm has made a huge distinction. Remember that the Old Testament saints did not have the full revelation, if you will, that they did in the New Testament. But I'm going to contradict that in just a moment, by the way. And so, I, th I think... I think they view death very differently than we do, or at least we do as moderns. I, I, I've come across a lot of people, and it, it actually disturbs me, because they act like death is no big deal. Um, personally, I think it is. And yes, to be absent, you know, Paul even says, I would rather go and to be present with God, but to remain here is to be um, fruitful for you, all right? And that's where some people 
get this idea of dying is really no big deal. Um, and even God says, I didn't look this up, it just flashed into my head, is uh, precious in his sight are the death of his saints. Um, it is appointed in a man wants to die. Yeah. The judgment. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the, it's a finality. And it's an equal opportunity uh, employer, if you will. But it, but it, and I think they understood the, the finalness of it. I think that's part of what they, they, they wrestled with. Uh, Isaiah 38, 18, and I'm right there. Uh, first says, for Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. Um, so again, this idea of they're wrestling with the afterlife. And this 38, Isaiah 38 could be referring to unbelievers as well. Uh, I want to throw that out there as well. However, Psalm 16. Verse 10, I have them in front of me. I'll just read them off to you. You will not leave my, whole, my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Um, I'm going to take a quick peek because I'm almost there. That is a Psalm of David. So David understood what was going to happen in the afterlife. That he would not, God would not leave his soul in hell, Sheol. Uh, Sheol could also mean the realm of the dead. When we, do the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. Probably would be better translated, he descended into the realm of the dead. Greek is Hades, or Hebrew is Sheol rather than saying hell, because some people hear that or they read that or they say that and they think, well, what was he doing there? Well, no, Jesus did not descend into the place of eternal punishment, okay? Um, Psalm 17, also a prayer of David. As for me, I will see your face. Uh, Psalm 17, verse 15, excuse me. Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. David understands this as well. Um, Isaiah, remember what I just read from Isaiah? I, earlier, Isaiah 26, I read to you out of Isaiah 38 just a second ago. Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So, there, my best take on this. Um, Brian, would you do me a favor, please? Could you turn those lights on, which is the second on the um, left. No, right, you're right. Talk to Bill. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. 
for some reason, I'm looking at it going, maybe I could ask Brian to do it. And I'm looking at it, and my mind went to the second. Anyway, I'm back. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Go ahead and read it for us. Psalm 16, verse 11. I, I'm, I'm trying, although I can't hear as well as I used to. Yeah, I had someone who used to mutter under their voice almost my entire sermon, and then they'd get mad at me because all the things they wanted me to hear I didn't, and all the things they didn't want me to hear I heard. Um. No, Carol couldn't hear you, but that's okay. Yeah, I, I think he's talking about, Larry, he's talking about being in the presence of God in eternity. But just for fun, how do you reconcile that with uh, verse 5 of Psalm 6? Nice and loud, please. You didn't sleep through that message. I'm kidding. You're right, I think. But are we dealing with inspired scripture here in Psalm 6? Reverend Bill says yes. Larry says yes. So in other words, part of inspired scripture can be God acquiescing to the reality of who we are as human beings. Perhaps. I know, I know we're getting on the very we're getting on the thinner ice out here. Yeah. I like that. David is showing himself here. In other words, what David is telling us without telling us, what he is demonstrating to us is that you can be real with God. Have you ever had doubts in your faith? Big, small, medium, kind of, certain areas, but maybe not other areas. Scripture says he knows that we are but dust. Meditate on that one for a while. He knows that we are but dust. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean... He, he understands our frailty. I think there's so much in heaven that's going to be revealed to us that's just going to be incredible. And, and that which is probably beyond our capacity to understand now. And I have no idea what those things are. And I'm not supposed to know. Right, Reverend Bill? <laughs> he said, well, maybe. Maybe not. I think as God revealed, we need to be sensitive to what he's revealed. What the Lord's saying, this is a prayer of mine. 
Could be, yeah. Yeah. Could be that calling him back, calling God back into the center of his life. Um, and I get I'm playing off of what you just said. All right. Because I get a sneaking suspicion, and those are not always good to express, okay? I'm going to do it anyway. That David is saying, Lord, you and I are not done here. You and I are not done here. You know, and in his despair, in his anguish, in his sense of uncertainty, although even in all of those things, who is he crying out to? He's crying out to God. So he's doing exactly, probably, what he's supposed to be doing. And he's asking God to intercede and step in. And, and just putting it all on the table. Here it is, God. Putting it all out in front of him. Putting it right out before God. Offering it. Really, even his despair is a sacrifice of praise. Even his repentance can be a sacrifice of praise. It's all being put out here for God to take out of his hand, that which he wills. And he's complete, I see, he's completely abandoned himself to the will of God. He doesn't have any choice. But then it gets worse. Verse 6. I'm weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with tears. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. That just sounds like he's totally despondent. Almost, yeah. It, 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 it you know, it's, it's interesting you say that, Tim, because it's almost like four and five, He's just put it out there one more time for God. And then he goes back to his incredibly difficult, discouraging, hopeless situation. And it's, it's one, of the, one of the his disciples, I don't remember which gospel it is, um, but when Jesus says, okay, we're going to go to Jerusalem, they're like, okay, I guess we're going to go and die with you, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, but anyway, um, he, he's just put this out there in such a way, um, and I find it interesting that God is, he, he's very depressed. I mean, this, this, is, this has depression written all over it. And God has given him space to be that. Suppression of sin? I don't think so. I don't think so. 
Some people will argue with me on that. Maybe some of you might, but I don't think it's a sin. Um, and again, it's, it's not written here, but I see it described here that God is essentially saying, bring, when you submit your body as a living sacrifice, I'm pulling a New Testament concept, Romans 12, all right? When you are submitting your body as a living sacrifice to me, you submit all of you. You submit all of you. You bring the entirety of who you are, body and soul, as this, this sense of submission, this sense, it's, it's really describing an act of worship. Um, one more verse just for fun because I forgot to read it to you. Remember when David was interceding for his son that Bathsheba had given birth to? And he died. The son, little the baby died. He says in in um, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, because they were they were afraid to tell him that the baby was dead because he was crying and, and, and just in complete turmoil because he was pleading for the life of the baby, all right? He was hoping that God would change his mind, pleading for the life of the baby. And they were afraid to tell him, and he heard that they were, saw that they were whispering. He had good hearing too. But anyway, he saw that they were whispering, and he asked them, is the baby dead? And they said yes. And so he, he basically cleaned up. He asked for food. He ate, and then where did, where did he go? He went in and worshiped. And he says, and they wanted to know that, you know, while the baby was still alive, you were, com you were a complete, I'm paraphrasing this like crazy, but you were a complete emotional mess. But now that the baby is dead, you're fine, you're calm. And he says, uh, but now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. He understood the afterlife. He understood that he had life after his body gave up. He was looking forward to being in the presence. The other verses that we read, looking for, you know, I, I will see your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied when I awake. That's, that's resurrection, if you will, when I awake in your likeness. Um, so I think God is giving him a lot of space to write about these things. And so then you have a, a you have kind of a change here. Verse 8 through 10. I'm going to read it all to you. Verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. What happened? Worship always seems to be 
Mm -hmm. It could be, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I, I I think he's talking to his adversaries, but he's I, I think because depart from me, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, right? It's picked up in Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-three, Luke chapter thirteen, verse twenty-seven. He's speaking. How else do I say this? He's speaking from the authority of his kingship again. At least that's how I'm seeing that. And he is talking to his adversaries. But why? What happened? But it's not documented. Something happened, but it's not documented in the psalm, is there? Something happened. Because... I think beyond getting over it, I think particularly with, with verse 8 being so hot on the heels of verse 6 and 7, right? You don't see any kind of transition. And of course, remember, this is, this is a written prayer, so it, you're not going to get every play by play, right? But I, and I'm speculating on this, uh, Cousin Tim, but I, I, I feel like in some, it's not recorded for us but now he's speaking to his adversaries in the same way that King Jesus is speaking to his adversaries later in judgment, right? And he's looking to purge his realm. Depart from me. Don't let the door hit you. He's looking to purge his realm. God has done something. God has given him some sense of assurance. God has, and he says God has heard his prayer. He's heard my supplication. He has heard the voice of my weeping. It doesn't really indicate that everything is now fixed, but the Lord accepts my prayer. Yeah, will be, yeah. So, he's not only aware that God has heard, but I think God has answered. Doesn't really say it here, but I think God, God did something in his heart. And pity party, I, I don't know. Um, our mileage can vary sometimes, right? But maybe he just finally got it out. Maybe you're right, Bill, and maybe he finally just got it in, out of his system enough. Like you said, he got over it. Maybe he finally got it out of his system enough where finally God was like, all right, stop. I've heard you. This is what I'm going to do. Stand up. Talk to your adversaries. Purge your, uh, your, your environment. Purge your realm. And, and get up and move forward as my anointed king. It's possible. Again, there's a couple of different ways to look at this, but I... 
Ja. And I think sometimes when you put things before the Lord, you, your mind does clear up. I, I, I attribute that toward a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But as you put these things out there, and you put them out there unashamedly, without reservation, because this is a pretty bold psalm. And it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a halfway confession either. And it's not a halfway repentance. Even though it gets worse, six, seven, eight, six and seven, particularly, excuse me. He's put it out there, he's still wrestling, and then all of a sudden God gives him an answer. And he's speaking these things. I see particularly nine and ten is he's proclaiming in faith. Even eight, he's proclaiming in faith. And, and he's trusting uh, because he has received something from God. And I wasn't, what did you say earlier? I, I, I wanted to jump on that because it, it's something to the effect that sometimes we just hear what we want to hear or believe what we want to believe. And, and it's not really quite what you said, but, and I thought of a couple of incident, incidents or situations where that has occurred. But I don't think he heard what he wanted to hear. I think he finally opened himself up. And God decided to intervene. And, and I, I think when you hear the verse, voice of God, you know that you know that you know. Now, I understand that's also a problem statement because I've had people tell me the Spirit of God told them certain things that well, you might as well just throw this thing away because it, didn't, it was in complete contradiction to what God has declared in his word. So then guess what? The Holy Spirit didn't tell you. All right? That's real clear to me. Um, but I think he's expressing a new confidence. Um, but it doesn't say how he became confident. But something happened internally to change his perspective. And I wonder, I'm wondering, and we're done, by the way, but I'm wondering whether it took him to go to this degree and more for him to finally hear and experience God's answer to his anguish. So, to me, this is a fascinating, fascinating psalm. Um, anyway, let's pray.